0: and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show.
1: Greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in here today live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Hope you had a great weekend. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. 888 900 Thirty-three ninety-three is the number here at the blaze 888-900-3393 keep that number handy we're gonna have our monday town hall coming up in the next hour however this one's gonna be a tad different because we're gonna have a very special guest with us next hour on the show an exclusive conversation with i think arguably the most influential woman in american history certainly the most influential woman um of, of the 20th and 21st centuries I, I, that I don't think there's any doubt about Margaret sanger Founder of planned parenthood is going to be with us here in the second hour of the program and I I assure you Everything you're going to hear Is her actual words Nothing Is satirical nothing You're going to hear margaret sanger in her own words. Straight up, no filter. Coming up in the next hour of the program, and then we're going to let you, the people, provide us your thoughts on this conversation that we will have next hour on the show. You don't want to miss it. You can also email us. That's another way you'll be able to give us your feedback for the town hall today. Steve at com. That's how you can email us, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We will give you an Iowa caucus update one week from today. The first official votes are cast in the race for the presidency in 2020 right here in our home state of Iowa. Our good friend Bob Vander will join us as we give you some analysis there. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away.
2: What happened while we were away brought to you by something different. President Trump made history by speaking at this weekend's March for Life.
3: We're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child born and unborn to fulfill their God-given potential. Young people are the heart of the March for Life. And it's your generation that is making America the pro-family, pro-life Nation. All of us here today understand an eternal truth. Every child is a precious and sacred gift from God. When we see the image of a baby in the womb, we glimpse the majesty of God's creation. When we hold a newborn in our arms, we know the endless love that each child brings to a family. When we watch a child grow, we see the splendor that radiates from each human soul. And from the first day in office, I've taken a historic action to support America's families and to protect the unborn. I reinstated and expanded the Mexico City policy and we issued a landmark pro-life rule to govern the use of Title X taxpayer funding. I notified Congress that I would veto any legislation that weakens pro-life policies or that encourages the destruction of human life. At the United Nations, I made clear that global bureaucrats have no business attacking the sovereignty of nations that protect innocent life. Unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House. And as the Bible tells us, each person is wonderfully made we have taken decisive action to protect the religious liberty so important and we're taking care of doctors nurses teachers and groups like the little sisters of the poor we have confirmed 187 federal judges who apply the constitution as written including two phenomenal Supreme Court justices. Sadly, the far left is actively working to erase our God-given rights, shut down faith-based charities, ban religious believers from the public square, and silence Americans who believe in the sanctity of life. They are coming after me because I am fighting for you and we are fighting for those who have no voice, and we will win because we know how to win. Together we are the voice for the voiceless. When it comes to abortion, Democrats, and you know this, you've seen what's happened, Democrats have embraced the most radical and extreme positions taken and seen in this country for years and decades, and you could even say for centuries, Nearly every top Democrat in Congress now supports taxpayer-funded abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. Last year, lawmakers in New York cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb right up until delivery. And we love the Commonwealth of Virginia, but what is going on in Virginia what is going on the governor stated that he would execute a baby after birth you remember that today millions of extraordinary women across america are using the power of their votes to fight for the right and all of their rights as given in the declaration of independence it's the right to life and to all of the moms here today we celebrate you and we declare that mothers are heroes. And because of you, our country has been blessed with amazing souls who have changed the course of human history. We cannot know what our citizens, yet unborn, will achieve, the dreams they will imagine, the masterpieces they will create, the discoveries they will make. But we know this every life brings love into this world every child brings joy to a family every person is worth protecting and above all we know that every human soul is divine and every human life born and unborn is made in the holy image of almighty god
2: and that's what happened while we were away
1: This portion of the program brought to you by friends over at Rough Grains who have a product that uh, has uh, created quite a stir in my household because uh, our little Bichon cap, short for Captain America, has a new obsession. And it is, um, it's Rough Grains. Now, now here's how this works. No matter what dog food you buy... It has it, it's prepared there for a shelf life, two to three years in some cases. I mean, they do the same thing for, for us as well in order to put something into mass production. That means a lot of the stuff that's living in the food has to be killed. Otherwise, the food will spoil quicker than that. All right? Same thing. This is why we're taking so many probiotics, enzymes, vitamins, uh, healthy microbacteria. There's an entire line of yogurt uh, that that markets itself is putting that healthy bacteria back into your system. This stuff is supposed to be in our food, but it's mass produced, so a lot of it is stripped out. Same thing for our pets as well, and that's where Rough Greens comes in. All right, particularly their product Vitasmart. Now, this is not a dog food, but it is a healthy supplement that puts your dog's food uh, puts back into your dog's food all of the live ingredients necessary for superior dog food. It, because whether you're buying the most expensive food on the market. Or you're kind of a DIY, I'm doing it myself, I make my own dog food. A lot of that stuff is still being stripped away. And Vita Smart will make your dog's food better, and it tastes good too. We put it in Cap's water, we've just put the powder directly on his food. Either way, he golfs it down and absolutely loves it. So if you want to give Rough Greens a try... R-U-F-F is how it's spelled for roughgreens.com slash blaze. If you want to see your dog thrive, roughgreens.com slash blaze. And remember that's R-U-F-F. Or you can call them 833-MY-DOG-33, my dog 33 Now, if you're like me, I can't figure out the letters and the numbers on your mobile phone. And no, I understand my VCR is not blinking at me 12 o'clock. I don't even have a VCR anymore. So don't. Yes, I'm getting older, but I just can't remember the letters on the on the mobile phone. Here's the actual number. 833-693-6433. 833-693-6433. Or again, give them a shot at roughgreens.com slash blaze. So I'm, I'm the one that made the decision that the entire montage today would be just, unless we had cataclysmically breaking news, which we don't. Um that I that that I wanted the montage today to to singularly focus on the president's speech at the March for Life. And the reason being is I, I have probably, you know, my own personal story, my own activism. I've I've spent more time and energy on the life issue than any other in my career. This is the largest annual protest march in America. Uh well over a half million people take part in this from across the country. Uh and it's yet even though this has gone on since, what is this, the 42nd year, I believe? Yes. Okay, even though this has gone on now for going into five decades, it's the first time a U.S. president has ever physically shown up, visited and addressed the march while in office. So when you combine all of those things, we have a a unique, maybe even historic political event that I thought we should uh, give it its due because we couldn't on Friday because this was going on right when we were live on the air. And so we wanted to address it at the top of the show here today. Before I give my thoughts and comments though, I'm going to go to you two, And I have no idea. I'm leaving it totally open on how you want to address it. So there's no leading questions or things of that nature. Um, Because I am... And I think the audience is, at least I hope you are, genuinely curious what you guys think of the event that took place on Friday, many of the, headlo- many of the highlights uh, Aaron was kind enough to put together in that montage. Todd, I'm going to start with you.
0: I think, unfortunately, at the end of the day, this kind of amounts to uh, how Russia collusion turned out. And I hate to say that we talked about this uh, Thursday and Friday, but a lot of sound and fury, you know, firsts uh, and this particular president is willing to go there and say the things that need to be said. And then at the end, you're just it, it was a nice speech. Ultimately, this was a campaign speech and it's not going to move the conversation anywhere as far as i can tell and just i would love to be wrong about this but one of the reasons i think you know that is by the reaction or lack thereof of the press it they just they continued to ignore it just like they always ignore it uh that's been if, if you if you're just craven and think about ways they can handle this that's that's probably the best thing they can do from their end. Forget the fact that they're, they're clearly just not objective journalists. Um, yet Trump really gave them nothing new here, nothing in the way of policy, no new rhetoric to make people stand up, uh, have to on the opposite side, have to stand up and address this. So listen, it's great that he was there, that th- there's no denying that. But I- I'm left feeling uh, wanting more.
1: All right, Aaron. I think
2: he probably could have given that same speech in, um, in uh, you know, in, a, in an arena in Alabama or Georgia or uh, Iowa or fill in the blank red state or state that he won in 2016. And I say that because he has. I mean that what we heard was just a derivation um, or a derivative, I should say. Of what we've heard him already say on his campaign rallies and his arena crowds as well, and it's uh, as Todd said, a nice speech. But there's a difference between a nice speech and uh, making waves. It's it's kind of what I kind of what I anticipated and what I looked for. I mean, it was a nice speech, and that's what I said during one of the overtimes last week. I I expected him to to use the same type of language. Um, that he's used before, and you heard him do that when talking about executing a child, as as Governor Blackface Northam of Virginia um, has basically and said, you know, uh, as, as we've documented well on this show. But there's nothing groundbreaking. At the end of the day, it was just, um, I'm your president. I'm making history here. You are a large constituency uh, of mine. Um, here's what I've done. Um, and here's uh, here's how I feel or here's here's what I'm saying about it's it just nothing really moved the needle for me uh, with that speech. And it was a good speech. I, I, and I'm sure the 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 always the always Trumpers in our audience or those who are at least uh, really, really, really high on the are going to be angry at us for not speaking or at least at to Todd and I for not speaking more glowingly. But it was a nice speech. It was a nice speech. But I, I, it just didn't quite move the needle for me. What much. would have
1: moved the needle for you?
2: Um, as of this day forward, I'm signing an executive order when I get back to the White House tonight to fill in the blank. We're not doing this practice anymore.
1: Okay. So, some follow up questions. What other US president could have given that speech? Could have? Could have could have cited the, the resume bullet points could have given that speech. Uh, can I answer? Cause I think the answer is none actually. Now we, we can certainly argue and debate whether that's um, good enough, but it's, you know, you have to understand that when, when, when people evaluate right or wrong, they they tend to not evaluate things in a um, in a vacuum, but in relationship to other things, right? Like when they select the NCAA tournament, they do not select the 68. They don't do they they do not select 68 worthy teams. They select the 68 worthiest teams because there's 335 teams, only 68 get in. And so they decide who's worthiest by comparing them to what? What do they compare them to? One another. One another, right? They compare them to one another, okay? Because that's why this team gets in and this one does not. So in, in my opinion, I don't, and I think I'm fairly well-informed on this issue, I, another, no other U.S. president could have given that speech. Doesn't mean they could not have shown up and addressed this march, and I think that if we as a movement had demanded things like they do that for us 25, 30 years ago, this would not be now where the, uh, where, where the, the baseline is. Okay. The, 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 I, I think on one hand, Trump has a list of accomplishments there on the issue that exceeds any other president we've had on the other hand. Um, and I think that should be recognized it, it's bizarre to me it, it, watching it. It's, it's a Nixon goes to China moment, which I was too young to know what that was like, you know? But um, he's, he's certainly not the one you would have figured would be able to credibly, and some of that is embellishment. Like we don't know what Neil Gorsuch's views on life are. We don't, you know? Um, and we talked about his confirmation at the time. They found that one federal judge were like no record of precedent on, on abortion, Um, he's been a good Supreme court justice overall, though. That's, I don't deny that, but we don't really know what his views on life are. Kavanaugh wrote the roadmap to, to keep in place the largest abortion promoting piece of legislation of all time, Obamacare. He wrote the roadmap that John Roberts later followed when they got to the Supreme Court. So there's some political embellishment there. You guys are right; it's a campaign speech. But there's also a list of accomplishments there that you're you, that another Republican president just hasn't done. I mean, we can talk about the Title X funding is that he's that he's denied Planned Parenthood's only two percent of their government funding. That's a hundred, that, and that's true. I'm the one that did the math on that. It's actually like four percent, but it's it's also a hundred percent more than anybody else has taken away. And I think this is where. This is a challenge to shows like ours that want to challenge our audiences Because the reason I went to you guys first is I didn't without knowing it. I suspected you were going to say that And what's going to happen now is my inbox is going to be filled with people really pissed at us For not giving him the credit that he is due Who's right? See, I think you're both right Depends on the vantage point that you're looking at this through. What's the prism you're looking at this through if you're looking at this prism if you're looking at through the prism of you know this guy has validated us as a movement in ways that Republicans I crawled over broken glass for has not. I think that's undoubtedly true. If you're, but I I think the point you made, Todd, the fact that this has not created a huge amount of controversy over the weekend um, was indicative of that. They didn't chart any new territory that showed them that was that I'm a real threat to you. Okay, I think there's there there's no denying that. I mean, I think we wanted to see a meltdown about this, and there there really hasn't even been that much conservative media coverage about the speech I... after the fact either. Um, but I also think it was smart for the president to give that speech, Aaron, at that event. Mm-hmm. Rather than at the rallies or places you spoke of, because being physically there and the only one to ever show up does add some significance. I mean it. It's clearly a, it, It's clearly yeah. an overture that I. I. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm proud to have you guys be my supporters. And how many Republican presidents since Reagan do you think that was really true of? Maybe George W. Bush on a given day, maybe and how many I republican really, presidential nominees since reagan do you think that's true of maybe george w bush on a given day and and that's that's about it
2: i, I think we're kind of at a place right now because everything you just said is true. It's also a really, really low bar, but it's also true. It doesn't make it any less true that he's done maybe hundred percent more than any Republican president in the last you know thirty years or whatever has has done. That should be we should be thankful for that. That's it's also true that that's a pretty pretty low bar. And I I think where we're having trouble here is that we're on the axiom of what you talk about with your sports teams. This is a much much to the nth nth degree, a much more transcendent matter than the Michigan Wolverines or the Detroit Red Wings or whatever. But you're always, you always say about your sports teams, I'm not a moral victories here. Mm-hmm. So is this a victory or is this a loss? And it's not a loss here. I'm not saying that at all. But is this a moral victory? Or is it something that can help springboard you, give you more confidence going forward? And and to me, because this weekend also, and yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there as well. This weekend also, there's a video clip of Paula White going around, the president's spiritual advisor, talking about uh, wishing miscarriages upon the demonic pregnancies uh, or something of that of that nature as well. And so it's really hard, I think, for people who are coming at it from maybe Todd and I's vantage point in this particular moment. To say, does this guy is this is this really a threat? Because <laughs> we all want to see we all want to see this practice ended five days ago, and yet we 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 see this speech. It's a good thing. Finally, uh, finally, we have a president who's actually you know uh, not ashamed at least of being seen in the same room in the same uh, hall as as uh, you know as our type. Unlike previous Republicans, so many of them, but at the same time. The package that it comes in is really hard to it's really hard to get all in on board with and that I think that's probably the crux of where we're at on any given day with this presidency for the last four years.
1: see, I think we've been on that crux all along that's that's I agree with what you just said, but I don't think this is new i think I think we've been here all along um the The difference is that you' you are. Getting some results in exchange for this. um, Let me put it this way: Do you think Mike Pence is a better person than Donald Trump? No.
2: For all I've said, but I get what you're saying. Come on, let's be serious.
1: Don't don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Do you think Mike Pence is a better person than Donald Trump? Do you?
2: Theologically, or just as a just a, as the way they act,
1: you, you don't see ample evidence in the way he's lived his life. You think Mike Pence is probably a better person than Donald Trump? Todd, do you think Mike Pence is a better? I am flabbergasted. You really don't believe Mike Pence is a better no, person you just than Donald Trump? I my pants
2: down. I did. I didn't know what you. I didn't know if you were going for the theological, and then you pulled my pants down. And no.
1: So, okay. I did not intend to pull your pants down. I'm asking you straight up. Do you think? There's evidence that Mike Pence is probably a better human being. Theologically
2: than aside. Yes.
1: Okay. All right. Um, there's been a lot of Republicans that gave you nice, warm, fuzzy packages the way that Mike Pence has. They don't give you any results. And, and I get what you're saying about the, the packaging thing. I mean, I'm there's a, You didn't see the whole, there's a person or two up on that stage behind him that I have to, that I'm even like, I know that person and (laughs) no. Okay. But I also know that I, I don't know any way around that. I mean, I know since we're making extreme examples, I mean, you know, Churchill, I just watched Darkest Hour again over the weekend, made my kids watch it for family movie night. You know, um, Churchill's breaking bread with Stalin, man. Okay, now I'm not comparing anybody who, you know, bothers me to Joseph Stalin, but I'm just using that as an extreme example. I think some of that is, is, I don't don't know how we can be politically effective and avoid those things on some level because human nature is involved and it's unfortunately not pristine. I, I, I thought it was actually a very good speech for him. I agree with your criticism Todd that um it didn't move the ball forward at all. Well, let me rephrase that. If the goal was to to solidify this base uh, the, the, as best as you possibly could heading into a general election and know that hey I have I've solidified that base now. They're with me. I met them on their terms. I looked them in the eye. I went to their event. I made the media come with me and at least acknowledge that I was there and call it by its name. When they most years for decades have not wanted to do that. If if that was the goal politically, it was a deft touch. And then to use it as the means of going down your laundry list of accomplishments—that's well done. From a from a position from a or from a policy standpoint, I agree that it didn't move the bar whatsoever. That may not have been their goal. I don't know. But if the goal was politically, hey, we've got, uh, you know, the Democrats are in disarray. We're going to now firm up our base. And the first prime faction that we've got to solidify as all in for us are these pro-lifers because of the biggest faction in our base. From that perspective, I thought it was a master. It was a master stroke. But I do agree that it that on a, on a policy level, it was a missed opportunity. And the fact that they're not having a meltdown about it. Like, say, the killing of salami over there in Iran, for example. I think the fact they're not having a meltdown about it kind of gives, like, gives a lot of credence to the analysis that you had.
0: But that's why I don't think this was even politically shrewd, or as politically shrewd as it could be, because that meltdown would have been glorious and spectacular and something to capitalize further on politically, and they failed to do that.
1: That's, that may be true. I think we have to maybe consider we're unicorns you know that, that i think well, we have to i have to think i think we have to consider that so are the
0: prophets yeah yes but it doesn't yes it doesn't mean that but yeah, but you know that's the, and that's the,
2: the point i think i was tr- i was trying we're to not make, then, try-
1: since we're not going to rip paula white in one turn and then anoint ourselves prophets yeah. the other you're making you're an, a metaphor funny. you're not assigning yourself a, a a position or calling like i just wanted to make that clear but yeah right
3: yeah
2: i think the the position again i, I think the the point that i was trying to move towards and maybe didn't even know it is just it's the same place as i said before it's the same place that we've been in the entire time whereas we're always going to be dealing with imperfect people whether it's mike pence or donald trump what really throws us for a loop all the time is that the person who at least gives us crumbs is the more imperfecter one yes
1: yeah, I think that's, that's a great
2: point. And that's and that's the frustrating part it's, about all of it.
1: It's this, frustrating so. for me. The you guys know I'm I have pulled no bones. I, I mean, Paula White is a false teacher. And it's it's disgusting that a bunch of evangelical leaders have promoted her and tolerated her rather than calling her out because they think they need her for political access. When they don't, they'd get it on their own. So they're acting as groupies, not apostles. I get that. And I constantly have to ask myself how much of of my own personal views cloud my analysis and then how much should my personal perspective because i have a pretty informed one in, about a lot of these areas and the people involved should it cloud my analysis and i think that that's a constant game of of gymnastics i'm playing with myself because i i could i could put myself because of the overall package i could just I could put myself in a myopic position where I just don't I don't acknowledge any accomplishments at all Because I find aspects of the package just beyond abhorrent um, and and there has to be some kind of a a balance there and I think that is Where we have to also understand though and have empathy for where a good portion of our audience is coming from The the packaging aspect that's troublesome and problematic notwithstanding They're also getting and we must acknowledge a, a, a level of results they've not gotten before. Now we would wish it was more, but it's also more than they have gotten before at the exact same time. We're going to f- find out where things stand with the Iowa caucuses here in a moment. Stay tuned. All of you uh, that are listening to my show right now, at this very moment, you're probably paying too much if you aren't using Patriot Mobile. And that's not even the worst part. The major cell phone carriers donate millions to left-wing causes, open borders, baby killing, and more. So let's talk about reliability. Did you know that they all, all carriers pretty much all use the same towers? That's why even in their ads, they're saying we have the same coverage as the other guys. We just give it to you for cheaper. So what's the difference? The difference is where your money goes after you pay the bill. And if you pay that bill to Patriot Mobile, you need to know they're the only company that donates a portion of your Of your payment to the causes like religious liberty, life, and the Second Amendment that you believe in. So, plans start as low as $25 a month. Why not make the switch? They've also got plans with unlimited talk, text, and the same reliable nationwide service with no hidden fees that you get everywhere else, except not everywhere else to get the no hidden fees, but you get it at Patriot Mobile. So, this year, probably than any other point. Stick together. When you've got an opportunity to do business with people that believe the same things you do, you can't always take advantage of that, unfortunately. Sometimes in an imperfect world, you got to do business with people that you don't agree with. But in this case, you can take advantage of that with Patriot Mobile. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. And when you use that offer code Steve, you get a free month of service when you open up any new line. Any new line, you get a free month of service at PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Free month of service on any new line. Or you can call them 877-367-7524. That's 867, or 877-367-7524. Or just go online. Again, PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. So Bob Vanderplats from The Family Leader is here with us. Uh, good to see you, my friend. We are one week now. Until the Iowa caucuses, one week until the first votes are cast in the 2020 presidential election, and we are seeing a trend line now in these numbers. And we had these two polls that came out last week, and one of them from a pollster that I even know very well personally that had Joe, that had uh, Bernie Sanders third, fourth, or was it fifth? I think Todd mm-hmm. actually was, was it four? So. Okay. And I just said, I, 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 even though I even know that particular pollster, I just don't buy it. I, I don't buy it whatsoever. And, and it, and, and nor did it line up with the behavior of the campaigns who had all of their guns last week pointed at Bernie Sanders, because keep in mind, the campaigns always know what's going on before the the public information tells us what's happening. All right. And so what I think I'm trying to, I I, I was, talking about this with Glenn Beck on his program this morning, giving his audience an Iowa caucus update. And Bob, I was trying to pinpoint what's happened here with with Bernie, because really in the last couple of weeks, the only thing that's happened is the the moment that I think CNN and Elizabeth Warren worked together to try to orchestrate the debate. The the hot mic. Yeah, with the hot mic a couple of weeks ago. And then I realized, and I don't know if this is a good point, but I decided to go with it live in real time (laughs) on Glenn's show. Um, You know, there has been a moment that's happened these last couple of weeks, the impeachment has. And what's happened is this has, I mean, this race was already very fluid. They don't, you know, they thought Joe Biden was gonna be their Mitt Romney, and he just couldn't close that sale. And so with with impeachment now, taking people off the campaign trail, taking a lot of the coverage and stuff away from the race, the one candidate that knows his supporters are like the are like the post office, man. Come rain, come snow, come broken, sleep, come shine. Glass. It, it doesn't matter. Jesus is gonna to happen to open that last seal. And not until that last seal is open. It's the only thing other than maybe even his death that would stop Bernie Sanders supporters from showing up. So when, when you drop a stink brick, You know, a a fart bomb into the middle of a room. The only people are going to hang around when that's going on are the people that are the most committed to whatever was going on in that room. I'm not sure that's a great analogy, but I I follow. And I think think that's what's helped his candidacy surge here in these last couple of weeks is everybody else is scattered to the four winds because of this impeachment thing. When his people are the ones that are going to answer every pollster's call, show up at every single event. And I think they're calcifying while everybody else is fluid. What do you think?
4: I, well, I think you're right. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I lived in Sioux City for 16 years, and Bernie Sanders was in Sioux City last night.
1: That's a that's the Republican stronghold of
4: the state, yeah. and, uh, Northwest so Iowa. Yeah. You're on the western side, northwest side of Iowa. He's in Sioux City. Even for Republicans, it's hard to generate a crowd in Sioux City. And he had 600 in the venue and another 1,000 outside the venue. It reminded me a little bit of the Huckabee days, Steve, when you and I were championing Huckabee. All of a sudden, the crowd started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But more than that, I'd walk into those audiences, and I wouldn't recognize who these people were. Like, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. And yet, they were my neighbors, and they'd say, hey, I voted for you, or I did this for you. I did whatever for you. J.D. Skelton who's run against Steve King in the 4th District, the Democrat uh, candidate, he mentioned that today uh, in one of the articles. He said, I went in, and I thought, I don't know these people. I mean, did they ship them in from all other, he goes, but all of a sudden, all these people knew who I was and they just kept saying, you know, we voted for you two years ago. We hope you beat Steve King this time. He goes, they were locals and they flooded the place. To me, that says this has now become Sanders to lose. I think Sanders wins this thing. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is going to be at her expense because we've talked about before, they're competing for the same voters. Uh Amy Klobuchar, I, she's obviously not going to win the Iowa Coxes. I don't think she's even going to uh, finish in the top three. Uh, she's going to end up being a player by the time this is all said and done. Maybe not the nominee, but I do believe she's a strong second pick uh, as a VP choice here.
1: I agree with you. And here's why I agree with you. Because I, we're getting to a, the point where I think you know, we've had these symbiotic relationships with candidates all along that are running in the same lane, right? Buttigieg and Biden, uh, there's been Warren and Sanders. And I I do think we can get to a point where those who were voting for Elizabeth Warren, because she's a woman, but a leftist, all right, um, where Sanders can essentially drain her of of a lot of that support. And then what is left is the people that just want to vote for a woman. Now, how many of those, I don't believe that's, how many of those there are I don't know. My guess is, though, that unless something were to happen in this final week, and I was thinking before the show, what could that be? And there's talk of the of Obama coming out and dunking on Bernie. Mitt Romney tried that on, on, on Donald Trump. No, That'll only
4: motivate it, his supporters yeah, I, I more. I agree. I, I really it, believe the, that. The
1: issue is, you, you and I are both big basketball guys. Yep. And this is another analogy I drew for Glenn and his audience today. We're at the point in an NCAA tournament game right now where he has the lead. You're it's we're in the last couple of minutes of the game. You're fouling him to prolong the game. And so even if he's a bad free throw shooter and he goes up there and misses his free throws, he had the lead going to the free throw line. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's losing points. He may not get more points. You may have lowered his ceiling because he's not a good free throw shooter. Right. But you are still behind You still have to then after he misses his free throws, you've got to go down to the other end of the court. You've got to hit threes to come back. And if you can't do that, it doesn't matter how many free throws he misses because he had the lead. That's why you were fouling him. And so they can they can take him from say thirty to twenty five. Who's going to get twenty six? Yeah. That that's what they haven't figured out yet is who's right. the candidate that can coalesce enough people to beat his insurgent base, and and I do think we could get down to a situation where he's kind of drained enough of of the of the I, I want a leftist who happens to be a woman that we could get down to just who's a woman, and I could see that 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 Amy Klobuchar gets those people. The one thing I could see that could change the direction here is is and I, it does involve the Obamas, and it's not them dunking on Sanders. But if they were both to come out and to go all in for a Joe Biden, I think that that could make a difference down the stretch here. But people can say, OK, maybe we don't have to nominate Jeremy Corbyn. Right. But I think it's going to take something like that to, to alter, alter the trajectory. Joe Biden can't do this on his own. He's had an entire year to try it. And I think it's pretty obvious now he's thrown out trans as the civil rights. And, and you know, he's at the point. In, in a game where you, and you're a former coach, you know this, when the game plan you had going in you're real confident in, isn't going to work, and and you start just trying stuff, hoping that something sparks yeah. a fire, Joe Biden right now is just trying stuff.
4: And I think you're right. And I do think that Obama's maybe able to help out Biden, but I'm not even so sure on that. He's gotten about every establishment kind of guy, whether it be Kerry or whether it be Tom Vilsack, or whether it be uh, Finkenauer up in the 1st District uh, supporting him. He just picked up another one. I don't know if Biden... However, I'll say when Amy Klobuchar's voters come into the room, they are going to be targeted, and they're going to be targeted heavily because she'll be under the 15% threshold, which means her voters will now be up for grabs. And Biden has got to get those. I also believe some Buttigieg supporters will move to another candidate, meaning... When I take a look at the demographics of people supporting Buttigieg, a lot of them are a little bit older. And quite frankly, I think when all of a sudden it comes to with, uh, that he's a gay guy from South Bend, Indiana, married to a gay I don't think a lot of them even know that yet.
1: He's- I think people don't know that here in Iowa... This has not been discussed or highlighted by him as a candidate right. almost almost
4: and, never. And so when Buttigieg is spending one of his final appearances on Fox News Town, town Hall, I'll give him credit for that, but that's not going to win you the Democrat uh, caucus here. The other thing, Steve, with, with uh, Sanders and with Warren, I remember this in the 2010 race when I was running against, uh, which ended up being Governor Terry Branstad. And I remember saying to a reporter, listen, uh, Terry Branstad believes the same things I believe on these issues. And the reporter looked at me with a little bit of a wink and a smile and said, yeah, but you believe them. I think that's where Sanders and Warren's people are. Sanders actually believes this stuff. Mm-hmm. They think Warren's playing a game and they're willing to take shots at Sanders. That's another reason why Sanders' intensity is going up. So I see Sanders winning this thing, who takes two, three, and four, and, what, and how that shakes out. Uh, boy, that'll be an interesting night to watch that.
1: Todd, do you have any thoughts? Well,
0: I do think, I said, uh, Sanders' elevation ultimately helps Biden. That seems to be uh, uh, bearing itself out in the polls because for Sanders to get that hot streak, it means the likes of Warren and company, the, the, the hot things have to be coming back. I, I think that Des Moines Register uh, endorsement of Warren... I, there's no way it could have helped her. No way. I think it can only uh, hurt, potentially hurt her because it's. Uh, they use words, and I went back just to make sure they quote the outstanding caliber of the field. The the Des Register readers are looking at that, and they they're like, "I'm going to punish Elizabeth Warren because you're lying to me." We are trying to sort through some a field that is not. Right. Outstanding in caliber. That's very frustrating. And so overplaying their hand like that is ultimately going to be bad for Warren, I think. I I think Warren could easily uh, drop down and finish fifth out of the five people we're talking. Now it's going to be very, very tight, but I think she could.
4: I think the other thing to take note of with the way the Democrat caucuses work is you have Warren, Buttigieg, and Biden, along with Klobuchar, all hovering around that 15% mark. And it's 15% at a caucus site. It's not 15% statewide. Mm -hmm. So if all of a sudden Warren's at 12%, a lot of her voters are probably going to go to Sanders. I don't think Sanders will be below 15% in anybody's caucus. Uh I
1: agree with that. So
4: therefore, Sanders could get a big bump because of Warren supporters going to him. But now what happens with the Biden-Buddha Judge Klobuchar? That is what's going to be interesting.
0: And I think Steve is right about uh, Klobuchar, that that woman vote, I need to vote for a woman. And all she has to do for this to be a win is go from that anemic... 6% 6% sort of kind of in the conversation to be right there, neck and neck for third place with Buttigieg, with Warren. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's one of those the be- it's it's uh, Rubio, the best third place finish
1: ever. That's how you spin that.
4: And that's why these national... No, she's
1: not going to have Fox News spinning that for her. <laughs> yeah. CNN yeah. and MSNBC aren't going to do that for her. But I mean, that's why it was the best third place finish. Yes. Rubio could have put out the press releases all he want. But if Roger Ailes had not given the, the order from on high that Rubio's our guy and don't talk about Ted Cruz, it wouldn't have mattered what what Rubio thought of his own third place finish, but I, I understand what you're saying.
4: And, and frankly, and you guys have all been through these caucuses before too, is I take a look at the national polls just saying, guys, that it doesn't mean anything.
1: Right yeah, I, now. I don't I don't I I to me I just think we just do this because we need content. It, right. if you don't live in Iowa, New Hampshire, I don't even buy South Carolina polling to some extent, and here's why, even though it's it's an early state, but the vote the voting block that is is solely responsible for Biden's lead uh in South Carolina are black voters. And they don't watch cable news don lemon doesn't have a black a black voter audience he, he just doesn't they it, it's white affluence that are watching all yeah. of that and so that audience is going strictly right now off of name id because yeah. that was Barack Obama's vice president. There, they have. There's barely, there hasn't been a ton of campaigning there yet. When they all get there and and somebody comes in, with, by the way, do you know who finishes second amongst a lot of black voters in the polling? Now it's a distant second, but do you know who's second? I don't. It's Bernie
4: Sanders. Is that right? He's the only other one in double digits. Well, yeah. what's interesting is I watched a little bit of the Fox News town hall of Judge last night because I didn't have a life and I've got other things to do. But anyhow, I'm watching it. And Chris Wallace says to Buttigieg, hey, when I visited with you you know, several months ago, you are at 1% with the African-American voter. And I asked you, what were you going to do to change that? He said, well, they just need to get to know who I am. Chris brings up a new poll. He goes, now you're at 2%. And he's like, well, I just need more time. They need to get to... And Chris, like, well, the election begins like in a week, you know, what is what they're saying to judge, what the Des Moines Register said to Judge, what the New York Times said to Judge, what a lot of these are saying to Buttigieg, and although they won't address the elephant in the room, it's not your time yet. America's not ready for this yet
1: they're not ready to vote for a guy who's the mayor of Cedar Rapids, Iowa for president of the United States. Yeah. And if he wasn't gay, if he didn't like having sex with other men, we wouldn't have gotten this far. He has no resume. So it has nothing to do about whether America, I think you and I would likely be disappointed. By the answer of whether America would be willing to vote for a gay man for president or not. It has to do with the fact, dude, you're the mayor of, of BFE, man. Podunk, yeah. uh, Indiana. And you're you not said that right away. you qualified for this job. Eventually, the natural laws of politics were going to take hold. All right, like, and and I agree with everything that Todd has said all this time about the emotion and the, and and the and and all of that stuff. But you, but eventually the law of gravity takes over when you're convinced I have an orientation to fly and you jump out of a plane. You can yell, scream, get all the court opinions you want. You can have all the polls that say you're right. You have a right to fly. But eventually, when the time comes that you jump from the plane, the law of gravity will take hold, <laughs> and that's what's happened to Pete Buttigieg. He's got all the emotion and all the sentiment and the swooning, but eventually he's got. got Got to show I am a legit candidate. He's he's undermined his own message in the clumsiest of ways, and you know why he's done that? Because he's the mayor of BFE. Because he's the mayor of Podunk, Indiana.
4: Because he's not run a serious race for national office. So let me ask you this: because we can have this conversation a week from tomorrow. But if Sanders has a big win in Iowa, which I predict he will, a week from tonight, and goes on and has a big win in New Hampshire, which I think he's going to be the nominee. (laughs) Is there any way that they can stop him? There? No. I see. That's why I look at no. it as well. If he does Iowa and New Hampshire, I have no idea how no they one that, stop No one that
1: is in either party that has won both Iowa and New Hampshire has ever failed to be the nominee, ever. The other problem we have, too, is there's no Democratic establishment. And I've been saying this for the last few years. We've been misreading the, our own clickbait. You know, we sit around, you know, lifting up butt cheeks and, and fire went off and convincing each other they smell good. We love this story. No one donates to the DNC and look at all the money RNC is raising. Well, what happened in 20— Their base is smart. They don't just sit there and get screwed over and over again like ours does, all right? So when they got when they when they saw the they they saw uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz put 47 thumbs on the scale for Hillary Clinton, starting here in Iowa where Bernie had more votes but lost the electoral college on yep, delegates yep. basically, all right? They did this for Hillary the whole process. When their base just stopped just defunded their own national party. Look at the money their candidates they raise individually. Amy Klobuchar raised the kind of money, and she's been in seventh or sixth or fifth place for a year. She's been running more television ads in Iowa for the last six months than any candidate not named Ted Cruz or Donald Trump ran on the Republican or Jeb Bush four years ago. And she's until recently not even been a factor. The amount of money, their their base has bypassed their national party and they give individually to the candidates that they like. That's why John Ossoff running in a Georgia special election against Karen Handel got to one million donors before Obama did running for president in 2008. And so what you're seeing is there's no Democratic establishment. And that's why a lot of the blue bloods in that party are not speaking up about Jeremy Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, because they're scared to death that this may be the new establishment. And if we speak up now, they're going to turn, the, the, it's why they had to go through this impeachment. Because if they didn't, they were going to start, they're, they're going to start lighting themselves on fire outside of their house offices and their own leadership now is like, this may be where our base is at and and we got to sit and watch And because if we get in front of this, they're going to run over us next. So
4: outside of Sanders, I think it's a very fair question. Who has a path to the nomination? Because I do not see uh, Biden reinventing himself and finishing strong in Iowa. I the don't only see path finish. I
1: think Joe Biden has is he's got to be a proxy for the for, for Barack Obama. And it's got to be a direct one. Barack and Michelle Obama need to say, this is our son in whom we are well pleased.
4: And they've got to say what the Des Moines Register said. We have an outstanding field, but this is the guy that can beat Trump. Because if they go after a Sanders, that will blow up on him.
1: I agree with that. Good to see you, man. Good As to see always, you. When we come back... An exclusive, the one and only Margaret Sanger will be with us right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. And we are back with our number two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. It is a special hour. It's our Monday town hall. And later on, we're going to open up the phone lines at 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Look at the stevedace.com inbox, uh, steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E or like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Show. If you do go to my Facebook page, you'll see there's a little post up there after we get done with what's coming next uh, to get your feedback. Because what's coming next is something I think every American needs to hear. Because the woman that's going to be joining us here in a moment, I would argue, is, is, is at the very least the most influential woman in American history, maybe world history, since the dawn of the 20th century. And maybe the most influential woman in American history, period. Her teachings, philosophies, has, has literally altered the landscape of social sciences, the way that uh, we, we see the family, the purpose of the family, sexuality, everything, all of the debates we are having now and have had really as, Western, as Westerners for the last 50 years. She's the plumb line. She's the genesis, pardon the pun. She's the origin She's also the founder of Planned Parenthood. And we have an exclusive off-camera interview that you need to be assured this is not parody. Everything you're about to hear are the actual words of the one and only Margaret Sanger. Here with us in studio, and um, I don't know if I could say we are uh, honored to have her. Uh, but uh, we certainly do appreciate uh, her giving us some time, nonetheless. Uh, she is, without question, one of the most controversial figures in recent American history. And also, without question, rightly or wrongly, one of the most influential. Her ideas ha- are have really been immortalized now in culture. And the institution, the organization she created known today as Planned Parenthood, is one of the most powerful political operations in these United States of America. Her name is Margaret Sanger, and we want to welcome Margaret to the program. I don't know, do you want to go by Margaret, Miss Sanger? We're probably not friendly enough for me to call you Margie. uh, But uh, out of respect and deference to you, I'm fine referring to you, however you'd like to be referred to tonight.
5: Mrs. Sanger would be fine.
1: Mrs. Sanger would be fine.
5: Thank you, Mr. Dace.
1: Uh, You're welcome. And you can call me Steve. Uh, I'm only 39. Anybody that calls me Mr. Dace makes me feel like I'm 60. No offense to you. You're a lot older than that. Um, First and foremost, as someone that is... Well, let's go to the top here, Mrs. Sanger. Are you fine being referred to as both controversial and influential? Do you think that is a fair characterization of you?
5: You know, Mr. Dace, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about those type of labels because I find my work to be much more important than that. And so I see myself more um, as someone who was born as a humanitarian.
1: You see yourself as a humanitarian.
5: Absolutely. Um, I don't like to see people suffer, and I don't like to see cruelty. And as you may know, I am a nurse by training, and so I have seen so much unnecessary suffering. And so I have met many desperate women anxious for help, not wanting to have children again after just having a child or an abortion, and you know, coming to me for something um, to help them with that. And I feel very much as this is an important humanitarian effort to be able to alleviate their suffering.
1: So you view you view the killing of unborn children um, as a humanitarian effort, or do you not think we're killing children, Mrs. Sanger?
5: You know, most of my work, of course, um, was at the beginning. Of course, was birth control, and um, my understanding is that. Um, You know, what we really need in this world is voluntary motherhood. And um, if we have birth control, then we will not have abortions. And, um, you know, I have seen where women have been placed in society and family and Mm -hmm. their maternal function has really made them to be brood animals in a masculine world. And so because of her perpetuation of reproduction, she has perpetuated the tyrannies of the earth. I don't know if you understand that, that she is creating these overpopulations, which ha- all the horrors of overpopulation that we know of, and she's laid the foundation for racial unrest. Women have also unknowingly created slums, filling asylums with the insane, and institutions with other defectives. She's repl- defectives. 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 Um- People that, you know, define that place, you know, defectives, we call them dysgenic. Um, anyone that uh, we believe that they will not have a full life. They may not. They may have diseases from their parents. They um, may be poor. They may be immigrants. They may be those people that um, for which they should not continue to have children. You know, one of the things of birth control is so that we can have children from those that are fit, not from the unfit.
1: So, I want to make sure, I, because what I think I just heard you say is so breathtaking, I don't want to over-exaggerate it, all right? And, I, and out of deference to you being willing to be open and transparent by being here with us tonight, I want to make sure that you are being, uh, we're, we're taking you in context. You literally believe, you are literally telling our audience here tonight that you don't believe human beings have an inherent worth just by regardless of the circumstances of their creation, how they were born, what they're born into or what they're born with. But really their worth is found in their quality of life, whether anybody intended to bring them into life. And if those don't meet a certain, those those citizens don't meet a certain standard, it is okay, therefore, to abort them, to kill them. Is that what I hear you saying? That's what makes them defective?
5: You're absolutely right. Um However, what I would say is that we are more focused on the front end with birth control to prevent them to even coming into the world knowing full well that that women will commit infanticide or they will commit an abortion. So if we can stop at the beginning, then we won't have to have those particular... All
1: right. So, so you want to dam the river at its source, so to speak, but you have no problem after the fact, if someone slips one past the goalie, so to speak, you have no problem, therefore, with the woman ending that pregnancy, right?
5: Well, you know, I know some people would call that a sin or murder, but, you know, um, it is a, a very bad thing, but I don't know that I'd go so far as to call it a sin. How do
1: we know? What is, is there an objective standard, Mrs. Sanger, that we know that someone is defective according to your definition. How, what is, how do you know what that standard is? How do you know that that standard is accurate? For example, I was born to a 15-year-old mother, and um, she was very poor, white trash probably, people would have considered her at the time, and now I'm one of the youngest nationally syndicated radio hosts in the United States of America. It's, but by your definition, it sounds as if she would have. I, I could have been defective it would have been okay to abort me and thus not have any of the three children I went on to have? You'd be okay with that?
5: Well, as you know, um, I was a very um, staunch proponent of the eugenics board, and they would have absolutely looked at your situation and determined that um, not only was your mother unfit because she was not having a child in wedlock and she was not— capable of taking care of that child, and it would be defective and really a waste on the you know, the hard-earning um, workers that we have now. So um, it would be a drain on the system, so to speak, that she'd probably be sterilized or maybe even segregated at that point.
1: I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. This is very clinical to you. I don't, I don't sense any emotion. Um, I don't sense a lot of femininity. This seems very clinical to you. I mean, we're, there's no nurturing here. I mean, we're talking about babies well, as is... if we're talking about commodities or stocks. We're talking about human beings here, aren't we?
5: There's, a, there's two aspects to this that I think is important that people understand is that when we talk about voluntary motherhood, I think, and the idea that we are going to be creating a new race you know, we're, we're looking for the fittest. We're looking for, you know, breeding the thoroughbred, um, the superman. Um, when you look at that and you have voluntary motherhood, then you have women that are more free to be who they are and to self-actualize and, and to really become more a better mother. And so if she's able to be freer in her sexuality and in her life and the choices that she makes, then we will absolutely have a better Um, child-born, and we will have a better society.
1: So killing your own children makes you a better mother.
5: For those that are unfit.
1: You use the word eugenics quite a bit, and frankly, most of uh, what I know about eugenics comes from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, So I'm sure you want to have a more serious conversation uh, than that. So can you tell us what eugenics is and, and why it's important to you?
5: Yes, Mr. Dace, Eugenics, quite simply, is the belief in the possibility of improving the qualities of the human species, especially by means of discouraging reproduction in those persons who have genetic defects.
1: What would be a genetic defect? Some form of mental or physical disability, blindness, Down syndrome? Would those be physical? Would you consider those uh, defects?
5: You know, um, I have a much broader term. I say feebleness. You know, um it can uh, it can include all those absolutely
1: are there uh, which you are alleging sounds conspicuously like Darwin's descent of man, um yes, there have been times in history where certain people of certain you you mentioned uh the overman uh the Superman uh, yes, you mentioned that last hour or last segment. there have been times in human history where people have alleged because they're of a certain ethnicity or race, they are therefore superior to others in a certain race or ethnicity that they may feel is. Uh, are is defective would you agree with that
5: yes so, and you
1: think the way to become serious about that even though most studies show the world's actually with the exception of a couple of areas in the third world is actually underpopulated the industrialized world is actually underpopulated but that's a topic for another day you think the way in order to conquer these issues is through eugenics so yes. who has in your view mrs sanger who has the who has the perfect dna strain who should we be recreating uh, more of, and who should we be procreating less of, in your view?
5: Well, it might who be. Who are the
1: human weeds that H.G. Wells, that you just quoted? Who is who's he referring to
5: specifically? He, you know, and the other thing I, I really enjoy about his writing is that he said we really need to cultivate our garden. And I agree with that completely. Um, I would say, you know, we could talk about the Slavs, Latin, Hebrew immigrants are human weeds, you know, dead weight, basically.
1: Latinos, uh, Jews, you think they're, Blacks, they're dead weight.
5: Jews.
1: You think blacks are dead weight?
5: Menace to the race, absolutely. A
1: menace to the human race.
5: Yes. I just, just, just
1: pardon me for a second. Yes. Um, because after you leave here, I'll have to clean up this mess. Yes. Because my name's on the show. So, with all due respect uh, to you, I just want to reiterate that the views of our guest are simply her views and not the views of those of us here on this radio program. Most disclaimers say not necessarily. I'll just come right out and say not the views of those of us on this radio show. Please finish your point. Go ahead. Well,
5: but I, I must say that my views are absolutely held by a, a tremendous number of high-ranking government officials, absolutely, and our foreign policy certainly takes into consideration our views on overpopulation and limited resources.
1: In other words, so that you would say that's the reasoning behind why we export abortion and birth control around the world? That's what we're out to do, get rid of these undesirables human weeds?
5: Well, notice how we tie that to financial aid.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm. Again, I'm speechless. I'm just, I, I don't know what to say. It just, I mean, you are looking at this like an actuary looks at a a table of numbers. I mean, this is remorseless when it comes to um, the disregarding of human life.
5: I wouldn't say that because, of course, I am a humanitarian, and I know that, in essence, this birth control, for example, is not just. Uh, an issue for women or this country, but for this world. And yes, it's true that some may die, but it is definitely for the greater good.
1: For the greater good. Who determines what is the greater good? Where What is that? Where do you get your standard for the greater good? Where does it come from? How do you know it's right?
5: Well, I don't know if the listeners understand this, but um, there are those of us in government and in the eugenics movement who have an understanding that we are entrusted with um, continuing the race, and we absolutely believe that, for example, that blacks are genetically inferior, and we believe that they are basically human weeds. The title of our latest project was The Negro Project where we are trying to address the problem of the mass of ignorant Negroes that still breed carelessly, disastrously, so that the increase among Negroes is even more than the increase among whites. And it is from that proportion of the population least intelligent, least fit, and least able to rear children properly. So we decided to hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social services backgrounds and with engaging personalities, you understand, Because the most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal.
1: One of the most influential, controversial voices uh, in this culture. Uh, The ideas that you've heard her express in this hour have been endemic. They've been foundational to the changes we've seen in our culture in the last couple of generations. Mrs. Singer, in the few minutes we have remaining with you, you've used the term greater good frequently during our conversation tonight. Can you tell us, can you give us a vision for what the greater good looks like to you? What does that look like?
5: Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Dace. When I think of woman and the new race, and I think of birth control and voluntary motherhood, you'll find, I believe, that when motherhood becomes the fruit of a deep yearning, not the result of ignorance or accident, its children will become the foundation of the new race. There will be no killing of babies in the womb by abortion, nor through neglect. Neither will the children die by inches in mills or factories. And no man will dare to break a child's life upon the wheel of toil. When the womb becomes fruitful through the desires of an aspiring love, another Newton will come forth to unlock further the secrets of the earth and the stars. There will come a Plato, who will be understood, a Socrates who will drink no hemlock, and a Jesus who will not die upon the cross. These and the race that is to be America await upon a motherhood that is to be sacred because it is free.
1: You gave some examples there uh, in and around that uh, flowery and uh, eloquent language. Thank you. Um, Sir Isaac Newton's father, I believe, abandoned him. Uh, Jesus was born to an unwed teenage mother. Um, they would seem to fit your uh, definition of what you described to us earlier tonight as defective. And now suddenly they are the examples of what utopia looks like. I'm Forgive me, Mrs. Singer, I'm confused because it would seem to me the examples you're citing actually reinforce my argument that all life is sacred and we uphold that principle. That's when, um, that's when the best... Moments in human history actually come forth.
5: I, I believe you're actually an heir there. Just think how, how much better our world would be if we had started with, with better stock. Can you imagine how much better it would be? We wouldn't have the overpopulation. We would not have pardon, the...
1: Pardon me. How much world, better the world could be? Yes. Other than our Savior?
5: Yes. Because I believe that... You know, I I know that there are those that will hold fast to, you know, the many different beliefs, of course, but if you travel the world as much as I have, you'll understand that most of the religions are very similar in the divine, and I believe that we have the divine in us, and um, when we work that divine out with the good that we're doing here and the humanitarian work that we're doing, then we benefit the world.
1: Mrs. Sanger, in the time we have here remaining, your legacy, when you started out, and there's so much more we could talk to you, but we're running out of time. So when you started this crusade of yours, did you have any idea it would be as influential as it is today? What do you think of your legacy here in America and really throughout all of Western civilization?
5: Well, when I think about stopping the endless suffering When I think about how difficult it is for, and actually if we wanted to talk about sin, if one believed in that, I think, you know, the worst sin is actually to bring a child into the world who, you know, is defective or, you know, if you can't take care of them. So, I believe that's an incredible sin. But if you look at the legacy, I think that we're building a better world we are freeing the feminine spirit and we are allowing her to become a better person and we're having fit children come from fit parents. It's just common sense that we would want to have the best human race going forward.
1: So you view what you have done as humanitarian?
5: Yes, I do, Mr. Dase.
1: Are you proud of what you've done? Are you proud of this legacy?
5: Well, there's always more work that can be done. There's always more women that can be saved from unwanted um, childbearing.
1: Saved from their own children.
5: Saved from a life, you know, and I also think of it as saving the children from, you know, perhaps a life of poverty and being unwanted or perhaps diseased. So it is, you know, a humanitarian view, yes.
1: What about children born to rich, wealthy, educated people? They don't ever suffer at all?
5: Certainly, when we look at um, those children, we understand that they are given the best possible chance at being able to take care of themselves and to become productive members of society. Hmm.
1: Are you misunderstood?
5: No, I don't believe so.
1: No, I think you've been crystal clear here tonight. That's for sure. Uh, Mrs. Sanger, thank you um, for joining us. Thank you. Um, Obviously, it took a tremendous effort to get you to join us here tonight. That was our exclusive conversation with the one and only Margaret Sanger. Those were her actual words. Now, of course, Margaret Sanger has been dead since 1966. You can actually go on YouTube and see an interview she did with Mike Wallace, yes, that Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes fame, many, many, many years ago uh, before she died. But everything that the woman portraying her in that conversation, everything she says and claims. We, we spent a good deal of time doing painstaking research to make sure we quoted her accurately and in context. And everything you can hear, her, hear there, that's why this is not a parody. Those are all Margaret Sanger's actual words. And there's there's plenty more that were not in there that we actually toned down for fear of how some may react in today's era to some of the things that she said and the way that she said them. But undoubtedly, undoubtedly the most influential woman, at least since the dawn of the 20th century and not just in america but maybe the world we used to play this interview we we put this together about uh, 7 years ago and and several years in a row we would play it annually the either right around or usually right around the time of the march for life is when we would play it and then over the last couple of years we you know you play it too often and it loses its shock value so we've, we've shelved it the last few years. The last time I played this interview, I was actually, oh, this was probably about a year before you. No, I think you, you, you were working here at the time. You had actually just started working here. I had filled in, I want to say this was like 2015. I had, uh, or 2016. No, it was 2015. I had filled in for um, Howie Carr legendary talk show host out in new england and his producer had gotten me on a conference call wanting to know hey what do you have lined up for the show today and i told her this is one of the things we're going to play for your audience because i i definitely wanted a new england audience to hear this his producer lost her damn mind and and i flat out just told her i'm playing this if you want me to be the guest host if you don't want me to be the guest host, it's your show. You can have on your show whatever you want. But I'm playing this if you want me to be the guest host. The show starts in an hour. If you think you can find another guest host, cool beans. I, I mean, I got other things to do. That's exactly what I told her. So they couldn't find another guest host. So I came on and, oh boy, did that audience. They had never heard anything like this. Uh, I, I played this once doing some fill-in work in New York City. It is fascinating to get people's reaction to it. We have yet to play it since we came here to the blaze. And I am anxious to hear what you think. 888-900-3393 is the number. Again, those are all the actual documented words and writings of one Margaret Sanger. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. You can also email us your thoughts. Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace Show. Uh, the woman portraying Margaret there, her name is Kim. She's a, been a good friend of mine for years. We even worked on emulating her demeanor. Because this, this is how Sanger spoke. Very calm. I mean, she's a nurse. That's crucial to all this. Yes, that. it is she's, crucial. She's a nurse, so there's a very calm, reassuring bedside manner there. This was not a zealot shaking her fist. She she believes hers to be the reasonable position, so she communicated like this in in real life to kind of put you at ease that this was okay. And you see this actually to this day, it is still um, it, it it it's still practiced. Like if you saw the unplanned movie last year. The way the Planned Parenthood uh, clinical clinic nurses and operatives put their arm around you, calming, reassuring. This is okay. It's safe. This is the right choice for you. There's, this isn't Bernie Sanders we're shaking his two fists at you. It's not that at all. And that goes back to Sanger herself. This is the way that she communicated her ideals, not with you know rolled up you know pieces of paper and, and pounding you in the face with them. No, I mean this this was to put you at ease. That this was the reasonable way. It was science, after all. So, Todd and Aaron, your your thoughts. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, you know, I
0: spoke like that. Uh, the main character of the show we talked about recently, Messiah, mm-hmm. and that's crucial too. That I don't. She she's a type of Antichrist, and the way she talks to us and whispers in your ear, it's all did God really say? And it gets. Us to sp- yeah, yeah. The hard cases, the the, the saddest it make, thing. It makes some yeah, sense, the right? The saddest thing about this is she's it, it, this isn't. She's not talking to a bunch of uh, you know woke millennials. She pulled this off by convincing. The lilliest white middle class go to church on Sundays. Uh, we, yeah, we, you know we've all kind of done. We've connected the dots in the right way in life. We've done things the way we're supposed to be done because those people like to think they're a little bit better. And so those excuses, it gets in. It has to get into them. We're always going to have the. Po- Jesus said the poor will always be with us. There is no utopia this side of heaven. So the, the the types of the antichrist like her need to get in on to those people that will say yeah we don't we want a better society we don't really want those hard cases none of that has anything to do with the gospel but these are people who think their lives have something to do with the gospel and therefore they start rationalizing in all kinds of ways that which is why again I come back to why the fact that you guys made sure that she nailed the presentation is it, now we have woke screaming in your face. Mm-hmm, but to yep. get to that, you had to have the the, the bedside manner. Mm-hmm. These are some tough calls, but you know, I, I we've we, let me lay it out for you. I'll paint the picture for you, and you'll see it's best in the end. And that is exactly how we got here.
2: Yeah, just as we didn't go from "Did God really say" to the crowd outside Lot's house overnight, we didn't go from. Margaret Sanger's calm demeanor to shout your abortion overnight either. Mm-hmm. But you see as that calm demeanor is stripped away under the veil of science and and, and just basic uh, human dignity and things like that, you see as that's stripped away, those fig leaves are stripped away, all you're left with is staring at the pit of hell, shout your abortion. Uh, Michelle Wolf uh, does another stand-up comedy on, on, on abortion and how it makes her feel like God. We don't go to that measure overnight. But that's what it all starts with. And it starts with every biggest lie is start with a little just asking questions. I'm just asking reasonable questions here. And that's essentially what, what Margaret Singer was. Just asking questions.
1: I love the point you just made about who the audience was that she established a foothold with. I, I want to pick up the conversation from there when we come back as well and get your feedback. 888-900-3393 if you have any. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com or let us know via Facebook your thoughts as well. More in a moment okay reality check how many of you made a new year's resolution to change your diet and lose weight well how's that going for you chances are you're having a lot of trouble fighting those cravings and getting your portions under control but there could be a solution called riduzone developed by doctors and backed by two two U.S. patents, Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA, the natural occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster, burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake, and Riduzone makes it easier to resist those cravings that can ruin your resolution because dieting alone is just too hard. The easy way is to change your lifestyle, and Riduzone can help you with that by helping you get your weight under control and... Get your portion sizes and cravings under control as well because that's the big issue, how much you're eating. Use promo code Steve to save up to 65% off of your order. Those are huge savings, but you can only get it at RidUZone.com. That's the only place it's available is on the website. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for RidUZone.com. R-I-D-U. Z-O-N-E, use promo code Steve, get 65% off of your first order and free shipping. They'll throw that in as well when you use my name as your promo code at riduzone.com. Promo code Steve, free shipping, 65% off. Promo code Steve at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. I I thought you had an interesting point a moment ago, and and we just completed our interview with Margaret Sanger. If you have thoughts. It is now uh, our Monday Town Hall. The floor is yours. We've already gotten some social media reaction. I'll get to that here in a moment. But the phone lines are also open. Uh, 888-933-93 is the number. That's 888-933-93. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. D-E-A-C-E. You made the point of the era in which she was able to establish her beachhead. And... It's similar to an Alfred Kinsey. I mean, essentially, if you want to know where the rainbow jihad and 10% of the of, of people are gay, none of that's true. But if you want to know where all that stuff comes from, it all comes from Alfred Kinsey. I mean, likely there would not have ever been a Hugh Hefner without an Alfred Kinsey. Where did he come from? Very similar era. Pleasant Valley Sundays. Ward was a little hard on the beef last night. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, father knows best. It was it was in these eras where these beachheads were established that gave birth to what we've seen in in future generations. In fact, uh, Margaret Sanger is actually ridiculed in a popular film of yesteryear, uh, based on a best-selling book, "Cheaper by the Dozen." The original with Irene Dunn. great movie, best-selling book. Our, our family used to watch that and the and re, the remake uh, with Steve Martin. We used to watch those constantly when the kids were little. They loved them. But it's about a family that of of twelve kids that has 12 kids. And there's a scene in the in the film where um Irene Dunn is the mom. She's the stay-at-home mom, and she answers the door in the middle of the day, and the kids are losing their mind and she's really busy. She answers the door, and there's a very polite, well-dressed woman at the door named Margaret Sanger. No way. And she's here to tell her about the freedom offered to her with having fewer children and how much better this would be for the world. And Irene Dunn's character slams the door in her face. Could you imagine a major Hollywood movie doing that today? No, they're, 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 they're bought and sold. I mean, they make the, the cider house rules where the abortion doctor is the hero. Now that's, that's what we do now. It's amazing how things have changed. I did and, not know that. And she's one of the main reasons they did. Let's go to the phones. Let's begin with Hannah in Wisconsin. Here on the blaze radio tv and podcast hannah thank you for joining us your thoughts on the interview we just had with margaret sanger
6: um i thought it was really chilling but at the um, at the beginning when she was talking about making the world a better place and her vision of utopia i think that the church has failed to step up a lot of times in terms of alleviating poverty kind of like a third way where it's not you either have to kill all the children or you have utopia but I think that if the church had been historically doing its job of, you know, caring for widows and orphans and educating people and helping them through tough times, that she might not have had the space to make these kinds of grotesque arguments. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian mom with four kids, and so I can appreciate that it's not easy and I have the support of my husband and, you know, his work and a lot of the church goes mm-hmm. without that it'd be a lot harder. Um, abortion would never be a choice for me. <laughs> But I recognize that, that, you know, if you're going to, you know, if abortion isn't going to be an option, there needs to be support systems for moms, especially for young moms, unwed moms. And I think historically the church has not been all that great about filling in those
1: gaps. I think you make an excellent point, Uh, Hannah. Thank you very much for the phone call. And I think that you've seen... uh, uh, a growth in, in even the last decade or so of pro-life activism with the kinds of facilities and uh, institutions that, that you're talking about that can care for an unwed mother like mine was when she, you know, was pregnant with me at at 15. Uh, and I've often wondered if, if we had, if we had taken all of the resources we've put in to electing pro-life politicians who did nothing for us, for basically forty years, we but we put all of that effort instead into forming clinics like we have here in Iowa. We have these clinics that are called Informed Choices that do exactly what you're talking about, or movements like Save the Storks, where they go out on the streets with, um, you know, the ability to show a woman an ultrasound, a sonogram, so that she can see right there where she's at that she does have an actual child, those that I I think we'd be a lot closer to overturning Roe versus Wade if we had uh, donated more resources to that infrastructure and attacked it on the demand side rather than on the supply. I think you're right on the money with that, Hannah. And I think by not doing it that way too, we've, you know, one of the things I write about when I do political analysis and I've, I've talked to people I've worked with and for about this, solutions Trump's values in the minds of most undecided people. Meaning if people already agree with you, then they're going to agree with your value statement. When you say, I believe in the sanctity of life, they're going to nod their head and cheer. When they don't agree with you or they're not sure, they're going to look for a solution. Because if they already accepted your value, they would agree with you, right? Yes. Yes. So what they're looking for are solutions. So when you come along and say, I believe in the sanctity of life, and the other side of the argument comes along and says, I want to save you from an unwanted pregnancy. They're offering a solution. You're offering a value. Okay? We need to frame life is in and of itself the solution, okay? And and I think that's something we've gotten better at in recent years. You guys have any thoughts on what Hannah had to say?
0: Well, when you said when people come along, that's crucial because uh, when we have a shared humanity, the people that come along are going to be able to have a lot better chance of communicating those principles you're talking about, the gospel at the bo- To be clear, at the bottom line: when we, it's clear that you're not you're not coming down from on high. We uh, we are here a common purpose. We all have feet of clay. We're all sinners. Going back to what I said before about it, they had to succeed with that middle class because that's one of the uh, money is uh, the love of money, the idolatrous love of money, the root of all evil. the The more prosperous, we've had a segmented society. We aren't. It's mostly poor, and then some elite. Mm-hmm. The lies you start telling yourself. Well, I got here because I'm better, and you, and so you don't even. That's their problem instead of our problem, a sin problem. That is fundamentally whether she fully understood it or not. What Margaret Sanger was riffing on that that growing group of middle class people. Are thinking, well, we don't want the weeds. The weeds get in the way. They they choke off the good fruit. Mm-hmm. Now, now, and isn't that a diabolical? turning on its head sure.
1: of the parables that Jesus talks Absolutely. about. Absolutely, yeah. It's why there, and it's why there's a, a Planned Parenthood clinic on almost every Martin Luther King Jr. drive in America. All right? Um, let's go next to Brian in New York. Brian, welcome to the Steve Day Show. Love to hear your thoughts.
7: Oh, hi, Steve. Um, I couldn't agree more with this information. I think it should be shared more. I actually used this very speech or this interview from the 60s in a public speaking course in college about two years ago. And when mm-hmm. I was done, there were nothing but blank space in everybody's faces. Nobody had ever heard it. I don't even mm-hmm. think the instructor had ever heard this, but slowly that looked turned to just wounded animal status in some faces and rage in others. They acted like I would made it up and I shared it with them. I showed them where they could look. And they went, some of them did, and they came back and they said, we just never know. I said, it's not your fault. You've just been lied to your entire life. And and to be fair, these kids were 19, 20 years old. I'm in my mid-50s. I had to go back to college. But it was just a total lack of knowledge. And that's why it needs to be well, there's a Well,
1: there's a prophet once said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And you've heard me, if you listen to our show regularly, Brian, you've heard me say more than once, we're not a nation of laws and never have been. We're a nation of political will and we always will be. And I want to give you props for having for showing the political will to say, I'm going to confront you with information that that has been hidden from you. There, there's there's not enough, you know, confrontation is often has this, um, is given a bad rap that it means it has to be nasty. It has to be venomous. No, it, it just means that I'm going to confront you with information or a circumstance or a situation that you're not necessarily accustomed to, used to, or or know going in that uh, you you can even support it. And what we lack in our culture, particularly when it comes to men, is more and more men that will do what you just did, which is, no, I'm, I'm gonna confront you with this stuff. And then ultimately you're the adult, you know, you'll have to decide what you're gonna do with it, but you know, I'm gonna confront you with this information to at least make you decide. And I think- um, you lose 100% of the arguments, you never wage. Know what I'm saying? So thank you, Brian, for for bringing that into your classroom setting and, and confronting them with the truth, man. Props to you, and uh, may your house increase. Thank you for the phone call. Let's go next to uh, our Dave down in Arkansas, where you just were, right? I was. Yeah, uh, Good people. Uh, Dave, you're live Thanks. with us here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Go ahead, sir. First of all, you guys
8: did an excellent job on that. Um, and, the, and props to the two people that you've already talked to um, this whole thing is is just insane sometimes it's amazing what a soft voice can do uh, even Hitler was a soft speaker to begin with he wasn't always ranting and raving and, and it shows how the power of our country uh, is out there because a lot of the things that the Nazis went and perfected started here and you know the eugenics, can i pause
1: i want to pause you for just a second so that hold on one second dave i'm going to let you finish but i know because we're yeah. we're desensitized to nazi references cuz they're thrown around all the time i want to back you up Actually, Sanger used to have eugenics conferences in the 20s before the the Third Reich took uh, power in Germany. And a couple of her uh, guests at her eugenics conferences would go on in the next decade to work for the Third Reich. So you're not just cavalierly, let's just, you know, violate Godwin's law and everything gets reduced down to a, you're a Nazi argument when I can't beat you. What you're citing is actual historical fact she actually was tied in to some of the same thought process uh, that, ha- that the Nazis were pursuing for the Ubermensch because she employed some of the, their own scientists before they even existed. So I just wanted to verify that what you were saying there wasn't nuts. Go ahead.
8: I appreciate that. Um, so at the same time, we need to jump out there and we need to change the language. Why not common sense abortion laws such as a three-day waiting period there must be a a three d uh, sonogram, um, and you know if you can't can't vote at eighteen, you can't get an abortion at eighteen without parental consent. You know, start using their language against them. Um, have more of these rallies. Uh, start to do a grass route, grassroots kind of thing, um, as in the Second Amendment uh, sanctuaries all over Virginia, because we know the GOP and the DNC, they, the guys that are there. They're for themselves, 98% of them. You have a few that are not. And the only way we will ever change this, the only way we will ever have revival, is to start in my town, in your town, get on the school boards, get on the, the city councils, get on your circuit judges, whatever you, you have in your area, get on it and be loud and be knowledgeable. If you're not knowledgeable, being loud will not help. And if you have to Amen. use a soft voice, too.
1: Well said. Excellent uh, thoughts, David. Thank you for sharing them with us. Let's get some quick emails in here, too. Uh, Herbert Kaliste says, after listening to the Margaret Sanger interview, the one thing that flooded into my mind was Hail Hydra. There is a certain Hail Hydra aspect to it. Andrea says, great and chilling interview. I was I was surprised to hear her say she was agnostic, but it makes sense. She or she was agnostic, but it makes sense. Not agnostic when she said she believes there's the divine in all of us, uh, and you hear her talk about secret knowledge and codes. If we if we do certain kinds of breeding, we will unlock potential we don't know that we have. This is the eugenics version of Oprah and Eckhart Tolle's The Secret, is what you hear Margaret Sanger say. Uh, thank you for sharing these, uh, albeit disgusting, words. That is from uh, Andrea. Chris Wood says, I think Comrade Sanger would be pleased with the representation, but that Planned Parenthood wouldn't allow her to be on the PR side of things today. They would instead try to hide behind their lies of a woman's right and health instead of the honesty uh, in Sanger's atrocity. That's right on the money. In fact, they'll deny a lot of this. This is not, they'll, they'll deny, like the media denied is still denying that Ralph Northam ever said I was, over, that, that, that was one thing that we talked earlier that we didn't, we wanted it, Trump's speech to actually cause more blowback. The one thing that did cause some blowback is Trump reiterating what they had done it with the governor of Virginia had said, and they're still trying to deny, even though the clip is out there, how many times have we played this on our show, I shared it again over the weekend. They're, they're still denying that that never was said when he's, when there's, when there, this video has been shared 70,000 times on Twitter of him saying this. And so Planned Parenthood will just lie to people that this is not true, and that's not who this woman was. That's not what she really believed, despite all of the documentation. You have to keep in mind that when you're murder for hire, lying really isn't much of a it's not much of a moral conundrum for you when when you're when you're murdering for a living. Um, Blair in uh, Kansas says, "Thanks for your broadcast of Mrs. Sanger's straight." From the bowels of hell, it's amazing how her ideas have taken hold and been uh, and then paved over. Yes, and Michelle Williams at the Golden Globes a couple of weeks ago. All right, this is her. I didn't. I didn't want a baby. And, th- and, and what was the tone that she spoke in? Yep. Very calm, very reassuring. If it weren't for a woman's right to choose, I, I wouldn't be here tonight. I, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't ready to volunteer to be a mom. I didn't want to have to tether myself to this child. And so I had to eliminate this child so that I could then fulfill my own actualization and potential. Michelle Williams, the, the language she uses, the tone of voice she uses. Now, I mean, Kim and I researched and recorded this interview eight years ago. But it's, it's exactly what Michelle Williams said and how she said it two weeks ago. While pregnant. Two weeks ago. While pregnant, she said these things. Thank you for reiterating that. Yeah, she said these things while pregnant. Amazing. Um, that's why she's the origin of all of this. She is. Um, Barbara Lebrecht says it was powerful. People need to hear this. Uh, and I hope you guys, when we publish the link later today uh, to the podcast, to the episode of Blaze TV, I hope that you share it far and wide with as many people as you possibly can, so as many people as we can possibly reach can hear this. And again, we can't, we can't make people change their minds. What we can do, though, is make them make up their minds. Know what I'm saying? You can't make people change their minds. But you can confront them in a way that makes them make up their minds. And then ultimately, if they're like, yeah, we know it's a kid and we still want to kill it. You kick the dust off your sandals and move on. But if there's one thing that we haven't done, and when I say we now, I'm not just talking about pro-lifers. I I think all of us who want to conserve this thing called American exceptionalism have not done a good enough job in this last generation of making people make up their minds. Meaning confronting them with the full knowledge of what it is, they're, they they seem tempted to assent to. Are you sure this is what you want? Are you sure Medicare for all is your solution? Are you sure? You sure that's what you want? You you sure you want to set the the bake the cake bigot precedent? Are you sure? Are you sure? To, are you sure? Killing our own children right up until nine months. And then if you're the governor of Virginia, maybe even after, are are you sure that's what you want? We need more people like Brian in New York confronting folks with the other side of the argument and the truth. Again, we can't change their minds, but we can make them make up their minds. Thanks for tuning in here today. We're going to do the overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317.